This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra-stylish, premium-quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin One expandable backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin One is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNRTAKE30. That's RNRTAKE30 at TaskinSF.com. Next up on an all-new Rick and Rick. Strike up the lightning blasts and let the brutality begin. That's right. It's time for our spoiler-riddled review of DC's Black Adam. With all the rock smirks, star cameos, and super-powered sidekicks one spinoff can handle. Plus, blockbuster backstories, Easter eggs, and WTFs with a Black Adam edition of Loaded Questions. And it all starts right here, right now. On the one show where everybody has a Rick up their sleeves. And everybody rules the world. Welcome, one and all, to the official Rick and Rick review of DC's Black Adam. I'm Rick Matheson, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend Chandler Bing. Or I mean, Rick Wood. How are you doing, Rick? I'm fantastic. And uh, yeah, we're friends, so we got that going for us. <laughs> yes. You know what got Chandler Bing in my mind? I'm not even sure why it was Chandler Bing. I haven't seen Friends in years, but for some reason the other night I caught some bloopers, and it was the episode where they were trying to move Ross's couch. And the whole pivot, pivot, oh, and pivot. I was, yeah, I was pivot. laughing, and I didn't realize that they all lost character too and started busting up laughing, which I definitely would have done. Oh man, that is so much fun! So he was amazing in that particular scene. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen I don't know at least two or three articles that have stated that millennials have started watching Friends and they are absolutely offended by Friends. Have you seen this? Offended? No, no. Yeah. So so I tested this. I worked with a lot of millennials uh, and I asked them, like, what do you think of Friends? Not one of them was ever offended. Every single one of them loves the show. I think that there's somebody out there trying to like stir up controversy on this one. And I'm not sure that there is one. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I do know that now that you mentioned it, I, I feel like I've seen the, the creators of the show saying in a couple interviews that there were jokes that they might not make today, but that's true of anything, you know? Totally. I, I was watching a comedian a while back. Don't remember the guy's name, and I apologize for that. And he, he made a comment that really resonated with me. And he said, a comedian's job is to skate up to the edge of being inappropriate without going over it. You know, because that's where the humor is. He said, the problem is, is that 10 years later, that line moves. Yeah. And what wasn't offensive in the past is now offensive. And you can't hold him accountable for that because, you know, he, he was with the times. And at the time, that was fine. And if he was to do the same thing now, he wouldn't do it the same. Same, which I thought was an interesting point. I mean, it doesn't make it any less insensitive, but, you know, at, at, like it's a fair point. I do think it's a fair point because the same people might actually now be offended if they heard someone else tell the same joke that they themselves told. So 100%. Yeah, it's just a part of it is, you know, having the awareness of why it's a problem 100%. and recognizing that it's not an appropriate thing to say. It never was, but now you understand that it's not. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, no, it's totally fair. And now I remember why Chandler Bring was in my head. There's been all these news stories this last Last week, he's got a book out and oh. it brought to mind that Friends special on HBO, maybe six months ago. There's one point of it where apparently he'd never mentioned this before. He suffered horrific anxiety, you know, while they were doing the show. He was terrified about not being funny enough before they'd go live, you know, do the show, which is so hard to believe because especially in the early episodes, he was hilarious. So you don't think about it, but wow, yeah. that's wild. You know, but I'm not surprised to hear that. If you think about popular comedians, actually, a really good example of this is Robin Williams. 
was yeah. you know, one of the funniest human beings in the world. Yeah. But uh, it was unknown to a lot of people that he actually suffered from depression. He was, a, you know, struggled with it quite a bit. But his facade was was such that the average person around him didn't really pick up on it. And so I can picture that. I can picture somebody that had that kind of anxiety, but then did the best they could to to act around it. Yeah. Often people develop good sense of humor as a defense mechanism. 100%. And so sometimes the funnier the person, the tougher time that that person may have had. You know, I'm pretty sarcastic, so I'm wondering what that means about me. <laughs> <laughs> if this were a psychotherapy show, we would definitely dive into it. But unfortunately for listeners... <laughs> This is not that. It's going to be a review show of DC's Black Adam. So we're going to be looking at the biggest plot points, plot holes, and serious plot smoking in this Shazamic spinoff. Just to set the stage here, Rick, what was your overall take on Black Adam? You know, Rick, I went into this with low expectations for two reasons. Uh, one, it's a DC movie. <laughs> no, well, you know, I like DC movies. I'm, I'm I'm a bigger Marvel fan, but that doesn't mean I don't like DC movies. Number one was the critics panned it. They just were not a big fan. If I remember correctly, I think their Rotten Tomato score from the critics was 55. percent If that, yeah, yeah, which was not a great review. Secondly, this is a storyline that I just don't know, and so going into it, I felt like that was a liability. But to answer your question, I actually liked it. And in fact, I think the fact that I didn't have preconceived ideas was actually an asset for me. And it allowed me to really enjoy it because I knew nothing going in. I had no preconceived ideas on what this character should be or how The Rock should play them. And so from my personal standpoint, I just thought it was a fun film. I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, you know, the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, I just looked it up, was 40. The oh. audience score was 90. This is one of the yeah. biggest discrepancies between yeah. the critics and the audience scores. And I fall somewhere in between there. I always go into a DC movie now with very low expectations. So I can usually find something to enjoy in it. And I felt like I did. So this is a spinoff of 2019's Shazam. And here, The Rock plays Teth Adam. He's an ancient Kandaki who was bestowed with the power of Shazam before going rogue. He's been in prison for more than 5,000 years, and he's awakened by archaeologist and resistance fighter Adriana Tomas, played by Sarah Shahi, who's searching for the crown of Sabak, which gives its wearer the superpowers she's seeking to free her people from intergang, which I guess has been occupying this Middle East country of Kandak for more than 20 years. Comics fans know that Adriana eventually will go on to become the mighty Uh, Once awakened, The Rock's Black Adam saves Adriana and her team from an ambush by intergang agents and then proceeds to make his way through the movie with a facial expression that suggests a serious case of constipation. I couldn't tell, I I really couldn't tell if he was suffering from the mother of all caffeine withdrawals or just needed a good colon blow. Either way, he's bad news. And we know this because Suicide Squad chief Amanda Waller, played by Viola Davis, somehow has the ability to just send in the Justice Society of America for an incursion into Kandak to stop him. Now, the GSA is a predecessor to the Justice League, and it's led by the legendary Hawkman, Carter Hall, played by Aldous Hodge, and Dr. 
Dr. Fate Kent Nelson, played by Pierce Brosnan. And they've brought along a couple of junior super friends named Adam Smasher and Cyclone. Despite the ability to scale from microscopic to towering giant, Adam Smasher is perhaps best known for being the nephew of Arthur Fonzarelli from Happy Days, played by Henry Winkler, <laughs> who's apparently the original Adam. And despite her ability to harness cyclonic forces of wind, the hero named Cyclone is perhaps best known for taking style cues from Tootie on the facts of life. Together, the members of the JSA must subdue and, I guess, re-imprison Black Adam or help him become the hero he has within. That's a lot to take in. It's just like a tiny little thread. Uh, well, and again, I, I'm not sure that I followed all of it. And that, that was the beauty of coming in with less context is it kind of just worked for me. Like, I guarantee you, if I watched it two or three times, I would probably learn something new every time. Yeah. And in fact, just me being an old time DC fan, there was a lot that I thought, oh, am I going to be the only person that gets that part or that totally. thing? And then there were also things that I had to look up, like Intergang, for instance. So they've taken over this country, I guess, and those motorbikes that they were flying through the air with, turns out they have been outfitted with weaponry from Darkseid. He apparently had funneled weapons to Intergang to help him find that anti-life equation that's hinted at in Justice League. Mm. That's why they have that sort of future tech. I really had no idea. Yeah. So does that follow canon? Yeah. Well, apparently it's more in canon with the comics than the movies. I can't tell in this if Justice League ever happened. I don't know. You said this predated Justice League, right? The Justice Society does. So in the comics anyway, and this is where it gets convoluted and where DC's never really worked out a good solution, the Justice Society was comic bookdom's first super team. DC Comics created the superhero genre with Superman in 1938. Over the next couple of years, they were creating all of these characters that were taking off in popularity. And in, I think it was All-Star Comics number one in, I want to say, 1940, they revealed that all these characters actually live in the same universe and they can get together as a team. And so the Justice Society of America was their team. And so they were active during World War II. So in 1960, they established that the DC Universe is a multiverse and all the characters of the Justice Society were on a different Earth and active 20 years earlier. When DC rebooted everything with the crisis on infinite earths, all those histories went away and they've tried to sort of integrate the Justice Society into a timeline that they were earlier heroes and it was before Superman appeared. In reality, Superman was part of the Justice Society in the 1940s and so was Batman and Wonder Woman. So they've tried to integrate them in, but we've never heard of them before in the DC movies. But as someone who has always loved those original Golden Age heroes, I gotta tell you, Rick, seeing Hawkman and Dr. Fate on screen and Black Adam was fantastic. In particular, I really enjoyed Dr. Fate. I was a big Pierce Brosnan fan, especially James Bond. So it was kind of cool to, to see him yeah. play in the in the superhero genre. That was that was actually really cool and unexpected. Actually, somebody made a comment that said, based on his look as Dr. Fate, he might be the next Bond villain. He did look a little bit like a Bond villain in this. The director, and I should have looked it up, the pronunciation, I want to say it's Jamie or Colette Sarah. I'm sure I'm butchering that, but he directed Jungle Cruise with The Rock and also a number of Liam Neeson films. And apparently Liam Neeson was actually first considered to play Dr. Fate before Pierce Brosnan got the role. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think I think he actually would have been good at that too. Yeah, I think he would have been good. I'm glad they got Pierce in there because I, I think it, it was just fun to have him in there. But I, I could see Liam Neeson doing that a good job at that too. Dr. Fate, he was a founding member of the Justice Society. My understanding is that dying in this movie might make sense because there is a new Dr. Fate. I believe he's Middle Eastern. So maybe someone in Kondak will pick up the helmet and become Dr. Fate. So just help you understand there. The helmet is Dr. Fate. It's not that Kent Nelson is Dr. Fate, but the helmet is possessed by a ancient alien being named Naboo. And whoever wears the helmet, he takes over their body. In fact, technically, it was not Kent speaking whenever he had the helmet on. He's just watching and Dr. Fate is speaking through the body that he's inhabiting. And isn't it also not just when he's wearing it, but also when he's touching it? Because there was the scene where he just was holding it while they were driving and he was basically seeing a possible future or something like that? Yeah. And uh, Cyclone says something to Adam Smasher about you might not want to touch it or whatever. So that may be it. Hawkman is a super cool character. And Carter Hall in the original comics was a archaeologist in Egypt and learns that he is continuously reincarnated from ancient times. He and his wife, Shea who becomes Hawkwoman, they fell in love and this pharaoh killed them and they've been sort of recycling through lives and in every life they find each other, realize who they are and have adventures or whatever and then they ultimately get killed or die and then they are born again over and over and over again. That's why Hawkman in the movie is not afraid of dying. Alright, so box office. Black Adams generated more than $150 million at the global box office as of the recording of this show and according to Forbes, this is Dwayne Johnson's biggest debut as the main lead in a movie. It did beat Shazam. So it's ahead of Shazam. Yeah. You know, I'm not really surprised about that. I mean, I had a hard time taking Shazam completely serious simply because it was almost like, you know, a big, you know, superhero movie. And so I was like, eh, I don't know. It didn't really land with me. This one I thought was fun. It was a fun ride all the way through. You know, they they had a great kind of pace to it. It sounds like for you as a, as a DC fan, you know, they had enough in there to make you think like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. They included that. For me as, you know, somebody who was just kind of a passive, you know, aware of DC and I thought it was fun. I I didn't need to know all the deeper levels of detail, just enjoy it. So I I feel like they did a pretty good job there. Apparently, uh, Colette Sarah was considered for directing The Suicide Squad. And apparently Black Adam was going to appear in that. Really? Yeah. I still don't understand the relationship between Suicide Squad and this movie. You know, it's kind of like they sent a crew in, but do they have bombs in their head? Is it just that they have a relationship? Like, how did that work? Yeah, I was trying to figure that out because Amanda Waller is, of course, the head of the Suicide Squad, and they get supervillains who have superpowers to go do these missions under threat of having their heads blown off. They get yeah. 10 years off of their sentence or they die. I mean, that's that's why it's called the Suicide Squad. How the hell she can just call up the Justice Society and say, hey, go get this guy. I, I don't know. I don't understand the relationship. In the comics anyway, and in other media, there's always been sort of an antagonist relationship between Amanda yeah. Waller and, say, the Justice League. Here, another spoiler is, she gets Superman to go warn Black Adam at the end. Exactly. I thought that was weird, too. I, I, I don't know how to explain it. This is one of those things where I always wonder, was there something left on the editing floor, like a, you know, a 10-second something that would tell us how we got to that point? It feels like something minor was missing. It's also possible that this movie predates Suicide Squad. Well, and I was going to ask you about 
about that from the timeline perspective. Was this before that or not? They hint that potentially it is, or something big has happened and we're going to find out soon. At one point, when they do capture Black Adam, they take him to that Suicide Squad holding facility, which is cool. That was one of my favorite parts. I don't know who else is trapped there, but that was cool. At any rate, that's Agent Harcourt. Jennifer Holland as Amelia Harcourt from Peacemaker. In the Suicide Squad, she knocked out Amanda Waller to help out the Suicide Squad. And it, I remember that. That's right. And in her punishment, she had to go work with Peacemaker in that series. Well, here she appears to be working. I don't know. Maybe this is also a punishment. She's got to go work in this underwater facility or something. Damn, she's cute. What kills me, I don't know if we've talked about this, Rick, is she married James Gunn. So now she's going to be in a bunch of these movies, I bet. Oh! Oh, is she the one? I, I heard yeah. that he married somebody. Yeah, that, yeah. That was from the movies. That's cool. Now, I will say this, Rick. So I didn't realize this till afterwards. It totally explained why. But I was expecting it to be a lot more violent. And as I was watching it, I was thinking, nowhere in this entire movie was Black Adam more brutal than Wonder Woman was in her first scene in the Snyder Cut of Justice League, that terrorism scene. She does everything he does in this movie to the bad guys in one scene with much more just brutality to oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Well, what I didn't realize is Black Adam, did have a lot more violence in it. It got a rating of R and they decided to strip it out to get a PG-13, whereas Zack Snyder's Justice League is rated R. So that's why. Yeah, I had read a little bit about this and I heard they actually, that was actually a really tough thing for them. And they went back and forth a lot until they got it down to a PG-13 rating. It wasn't just remove one scene. It was a lot over and over and over again to try and narrow it down. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. It probably was a wise decision just from a business point of view, but uh, I would have liked to say, I hope they come out with a full cut <laughs> at some point for streaming. Yeah, that'd be cool. Now, interesting concepts in the movie. So they go into Kondak and from what it seemed to indicate is that Intergang has been operating and pretty much controlling that country for 20 years and no member of the Justice League or Justice Society or any other hero has come to stop them. Adriana says to him, where have you been, you know, for 20 years? And yeah. Hawkman, Carter House says, well, it's complicated, but you have to understand that Black Adam's not who you think he is. And just, I don't really care. We need somebody to save our people here. And you've done nothing for 20 years. I thought that was interesting, but also strained credulity. If it was just some kind of internal politics, the Justice League has tried to stay out. But if it's intergang, that is an external force. She was making good points and raised an interesting theme in this instance. It didn't make sense why they wouldn't have stopped them. The balance of power has actually changed in the DC universe. All right, so final raid. I think I'm going to give this a grade I've given many other movies. I'm going to give it a solid B. I, I don't think that this was an earth-shatteringly good DC movie. It is definitely better than the average DC movie. And you know I'm a fan of The Rock, so that helped out a lot. I felt like it came together really well. I, I felt like there were some gaps where it was like, I don't know why that's happening. Like, I feel like there were some gaps, but I really felt like it was a good showing. And I would I would give it a solid B. I would recommend that people go see it. What about yourself? Yeah, that's totally fair. It would have been in the B range, but I'm going to give it a C plus only because there was a great movie in here somewhere that just didn't quite come out. So I'm going to give it a C plus. After this break, we're not done yet, folks, because it's time to play a Black Adam edition of Loaded Questions. So don't go anywhere. 
This episode of Rick and Rick Rule the World is brought to you by Taskin, the first name in ultra stylish premium quality travel gear, like the exquisitely designed Taskin One expandable backpack. With nine practical variations, the Taskin One is always the right size for wherever life takes you next. Save 30% on your next purchase when you use the promo code RNR Take 30. That's R and R Take 30 at TaskinSF.com. All right, we are back. Rick and Rick rule the world with Rick Matheson and Rick Wooten, and it's time to play a Black Adam edition of Loaded Questions. I'm ready. Awesome. Question number one. The chance to direct Black Adam was first offered to A, Jordan Peele of Get Out and Nope fame, B, James Gunn of Suicide Squad and Guardians of the Galaxy fame, C, Pee Wee Herman of Pee Wee's Big Adventure fame, or D, the Ferrelli brothers of Dumb and Dumber fame. Which of these was first offered the chance to direct Black Adam? Oh, I'm going to guess, and it's purely guess, James Gunn. I would have guessed that too, but no, in this instance, it is A. So according to IMDb, the chance to direct Black Adam was first offered to Jordan Peele of Get Out and Nope fame. Apparently, Peele declined, saying, quote, I'm not a fan of superhero movies, and I'd hate to take the chance away from a director who is really passionate about them, end quote. I think that's pretty cool. Question number two. Which of the following was not considered a goof in Black Adam? A, the fact that even children could easily pick up the crown of Sabak, which at one point is said to weigh 23 pounds. B, the fact that after being awakened after 5,000 years, Black Adam can speak fluent modern English. C, the fact that in one scene, the rock's actual tattoos can be briefly seen bleeding through the makeup used to cover them. Or D, the fact that in one scene, Black Adam mimics the Clint Eastwood Western shootout from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly he saw on TV, even though he destroyed the TV set before Eastwood's character actually drew his gun. Which of these is not considered a goof in Black Adam? I'm going to guess that it was speaking English. You are correct. The answer is both B and D. So again, this is from IMDb. The crown of Sabak is said to weigh 23 pounds, but everyone flings it around like it weighs a couple of ounces. And The Rock's actual tattoos do indeed bleed through the makeup used to cover them in the scene where he's getting out of the holding facility. What aren't goofs are B and D. The fact that Black Adam mimics the shootout he didn't see on TV. Well, it appears to be a goof to me. I haven't seen anyone else note that, so I'm assuming that I'm wrong, that I just didn't catch it right and it's not a goof. Apparently, neither is the fact that Black Adam speaks modern English. So he's not. According to IMDb, everyone in the film, including the JSA, is actually speaking Kandaki, and that it's translated for the convenience of the English-speaking audience. Oh, interesting. All right, final question. Which of the following statements is true? A, Black Adam has been a member of the JSA and the Justice League. Black Adam's slogan is kneel at his feet or get crushed by his boot. C. Black Adam slaughtered millions of people in the nation of Biala and literally started World War III. Or D. Instead of Cyclone, the original idea was to include Hawkwoman and Stargirl in Black Adam. Which of these statements is true? I'm going to go with D to include Hawkwoman. You are correct. In fact, the answer is all of the above. A, B, C, and D. So Black Adam has been a member of the JSA and right now he's a member of the Justice League. So again, he can do the right thing. And apparently the heroes have come to need him in certain circumstances. Black Adam's slogan is kneel at his feet or get crushed by his boot. I think I read that in either Screen Rant or IMDb. And apparently in the comics, at one point in one storyline, Black Adam slaughtered millions of people and started World War III. And then instead of Cyclone, the original idea was to include Hawkwoman and Stargirl. 
All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up the Rick and Rick review of DC's Black Adam. Rick Uden, until we meet again, why don't you refresh everyone's memory about where they can find you online? The best place to find me is always on Twitter. I'm at Wooten, W-O-O-T-T-E-N. And how about yourself, Matheson? I am at Rick Matheson on Twitter. And of course, you can find all our social links and listen to archived episodes and more at rickandrick.com. Until next time, please stay safe, keep each other safe, and keep on coming back to the one show where everybody's name is Rick. And everybody rules the world. 